When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guests today on Stories Connect People podcast are the owners of Second Life, Tanya and Toby Maroos. Second Life is an organization and resale retail concept that supports homeless animals. Tanya had this crazy idea almost 10 years ago that Toby immediately supported. They combined their love for animals with their love for thrifting and started an upscale resale store. They have now provided $1.6 million in grants to local organizations that support rescue, education, fostering, spaying, and neutering. Tanya's love for animals started when she was a young girl in Cairo, Egypt. Her father would help the local street dogs. Over the years, Tanya and Toby have returned many times to see family, support Cairo organizations, and even rescued their two current dogs from there. Their one dog, Riley, in fact, is the chief smile officer at Second Life, a job that was passed down to him by their first rescue, Lucky, a beautiful Dalmatian. In the early days of Second Life, Lucky was the dog in the window that got people coming into the store. He captured the heart of the customers, just like he did his parents. And now, that is Riley's job, and he is pretty excellent at it. In this podcast, you will hear how deep their love goes for animals, how they support local organizations, and how they are speaking up for animals who can't speak for themselves. In addition, you will learn some pretty cool things about their store and their team. It is a joy to welcome Tanya and Toby to Stories Connect People podcast. Welcome, Tanya and Toby to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm fabulous. Let me start by how I got introduced to you. So we have a mutual friend, Ivy Carruth, and I interviewed Ivy a um, few weeks ago for the podcast. Her podcast was Travel in Twos. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, it's really awesome. But um, Ivy said, I have a great friend that is doing awesome work and would be such a good guest for the podcast. And um, she introduced us. So Tanya and Toby, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I am such a crazy animal lover, uh, specifically dogs. I'm such a dog person. And so I cannot wait to hear about your story and about your journey to um, to establishing the organization Second Life and the secondhand store. We call it upscale, upscale thrift. Yeah. 
upscale thrift. So I can't wait to hear your story about how all of that was established. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah, thanks this is great. Us. Why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about you, maybe um, maybe a little bit individually and maybe where you grew up. And um, it's so exciting that you all work together and are also married. So I want to hear all about that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I'll start because um, my history is, is a little bit easier than Tanya's. I'm more of a, a I guess you'd say traditional person. I grew was born and raised in the same house. Um, I grew up in Western New York, uh, Rochester, New York, to be more specific. It's a weird, yeah, it was just a basic childhood growing up on, you know, we had in a neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where we all grew up together. We went to kindergarten together and then on through high school. It's the whole neighborhood just kind of grew up the same. Um, and like my future, I never really thought much about what I was going to be doing or anything. And I went to college and the only thing I wanted to do was get as far away from that life. I don't know why, but I just wanted to get away. So I went to Arizona State, <laughs> about as far away from that is a long way away. You know, I was had the plans on following my father's footsteps, becoming an engineer, working for Eastman Kodak Company, because everybody in Rochester either worked for Kodak or knew somebody who worked for Kodak, um, at least back then. Um, but after two semesters, I realized engineering was not for me. While I think like an engineer and I have the, the logistic brains of that, it just didn't, didn't excite me. So I was just always looking for something, something that was more interesting. Um, and actually at Arizona State is where we met. So that's kind of the, where we come together. But Tanya's story is much more interesting than mine. Tanya, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, so I was born in Cairo, Egypt. My mom is a, born and raised in, in Egypt. He was an international student that came to the U.S. They met, fell in love, went back to the Middle East. I was their first child born. Um, I lived in the Middle East until I was seven um, in both Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And then when I was seven, we moved to the United States. But all the pictures I look at of us when we were in Egypt, my dad was a professor of pharmacy and he, there were all these pictures of him helping uh, stray dogs and cats with uh, expired antibiotics and things like that, which was very unheard of. Egypt's not generally, or at least back then, a pet loving culture. So I, that's probably where I got my, um, but I've always loved animals. So we moved to the Florida. Um, and then when I was 10, we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, which is what I call my hometown where I went to high school and graduated. I was always kind of the shy kid. Uh, never quite sure of myself and really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I loved animals, thought about being a vet, but I didn't have a science that went to my brothers. I don't know. I was, I never felt like I, like all the other kids, like who had a childhood like Toby, where they just grew up together. I was more of a wanderlust. I wanted to go out and see places. I wanted to travel internationally. I wanted to do all these things. Um, sports helped me get come out of my shell, but um, went to college at the University of Kansas because it was just far enough away from home, but not quite that far, three and a half hours. And then when I graduated from college, really had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, my parents had moved to Phoenix by then. Um, so I got a job at Arizona State University doing sports marketing because I loved sports and that was my degree. And I thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And after two years, I said, I never want to do this. For so. <laughs> But I got Toby out of the deal. So that's where we met at the athletic department at ASU. 
<laughs> this was so Toby, you were the best part of the post college experience. <laughs> yes. He was the best part of Arizona. My parents <laughs> my parents still live there. Um it was not home for me, but um, we met Toby and we dated and lived there for eight years and uh the other great part that you got out of Arizona was uh, that's where our, our true passion and rescue came about because we found Lucky there. So he's, you know, he was the, the first rescue that we rescued together. He's, he's really the one who got us more involved in animal rescue. You know, we both knew that animal rescue was an important thing, but we weren't really involved in it at all until we met him. Once we met him. Yeah. I grew up like, with that miniature poodle. Was gray, and he grew up with the miniature poodle who was gray also. So we had and fat and fat. <laughs> so, so when we got lucky, he was. We had just. I had just learned about fostering and how important it was for rescues to have foster homes um, set up for the animals. Um, so Lucky was our second foster, but he was Lucky was about seventy five pounds. That's way too big, right? Compared to what we had, so we weren't planning to keep Lucky, but. That changed quickly. Yeah, he chose us. Well, that usually is how it happens. They rescue us, right? Yeah, so we, we picked Lucky up and um, came home and he jumped right on our couch, kind of looked back at us and said, this is my spot. Um, but Lucky was deemed unadoptable. He was large, alpha male, had been returned twice and deemed unadoptable by the rescue. Didn't like kids and he was a Dalmatian, which is horrible because kids see Dalmatians and think oh, 101 Dalmatians and they want to run. To That's exactly right. Yeah, oh, well. Yeah. He did not like kids. <laughs> so lucky was a handful, but man, after a week and one adoption event that we took him to, we knew he was ours. So two months later, we made it official. And that's really how we got started in animal rescue, where we learned what a big need there was for funding and volunteers and foster homes and, you know, how important it was to promote adoption and things like that. Well, because it took a lot of work to get him from where he was, you know, become friendly with people. And, you know, he he became a much, much better dog, you know, behavioral wise through us. And that was the thing that struck me the most was he was a day away from being euthanized. And yet he was such an amazing animal that who who is now because of him has changed our lives and created second life and all of these things that happened all because of this one dog. Well, it sounds like you invested so much in Lucky and giving him a great life, but he kind of turned your life around, it sounds like. Yeah, he did. He definitely turned our lives around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dogs are amazing. Uh, animals, pets in general are amazing. And I can't imagine a life, a world without pets and animals and the joy that they bring. And that's what Lucky did. He brought us so much joy. He, he encouraged us to go hiking. That dog wanted to walk everywhere. He got us fit. Um, and he was just, he was so grateful. Adopted animals, they know they've been saved. And he was so happy. I think they know they have been saved. And they can save us just as much as we can save them. Definitely. Absolutely. So why don't we start uh, talking a little bit about the journey of uh, Second Life? And uh, sounds like that Lucky was the catalyst you know, for you finding you know how important rescue and fostering and all of that was. And so kind of start from there. 
You know, it's a it's an interesting story because for us in our being a married couple, you know, couples have personal roles that they play in relationships. And for us, one of the roles that I always played was the crazy idea person. I was the one who would come up with a crazy idea and say, hey, let's try this or let's do this. Or how about if we thought about this? I'm the dreamer, the one who's always thinking about, oh, if we won a million dollars in the lottery, what would we do with it? And Tanya's always been the realist who's always pulled me back saying, you know, okay, let, let's think this through logically. Is that really going to happen? It's not going to happen. So let's not worry about this. <laughs> that makes um, me sound like a buzzkill. <laughs> not a buzzkill, but a realist. Well, I'm surprised, Toby, with you being an engineer. I know. Engineers are usually more logical. <laughs> Which is why I didn't fit. <laughs> not that you're not logical, but maybe Tanya would have been more of kind of the free spirit. Let's see what can happen and dreamer, the dreamer. Yeah. Well, and that's part of why I didn't fit in with the engineering world is because I had that more dreamer of a state. It's not that Tanya's a buzzkill at all. Uh, she's a realist. And so when I would come up with crazy ideas or let's try this, let's try that. She was always very like, that sounds good. Let's think it through. And, um, then she came to me one day and said, hey, let's try this. I said, sure, let's go for it. Because I always tell people this was her crazy idea. This this whole store was her crazy idea. Um, and I just didn't have the realization to say, hey, let's think this through first. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tanya, talk about the moment that, that it came to you and what did that look like? People often ask me, was this something you've wanted to do for your whole life? And honestly, it wasn't. It was not even a thought. And I worked for the airlines for 10 years because we both love to travel, especially international, and was working at Delta Airlines and loved my job and the company, but I wanted to do more. I was approaching 40. I wanted to do something that was meaningful, that helped animals. I didn't know what that was, but um, I took a package in 2008 and we were going to just figure out what that meant. Um, and then a year later, while we were still trying to figure that out, uh, we were back in my hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, for a high school reunion, and then we were going to on. Then we were going to go on the way to Yellowstone. And my mom was there with us, and she said, "I need more warm clothes." I just saw this ad for this boutique resale boutique that benefits animal rescues. Let's go check it out. So it was a serendipitous event that we even. That second life is here today. Because if, if I hadn't walked in the store that day, who knows what we would be doing. I mean, I loved to thrift. I was a big thrifter in my adult life, uh, although I was very embarrassed and hated doing it as a child with my mom. That's a whole nother story. Um, so we went into this place and I started looking around and I was the, the, the wheels started turning in the head and just asked the owner some questions and then let it go. And a couple months later, I called her back and said, you know, I'm interested in possibly opening a store in Atlanta. Can I come back and shadow you? She said, I still remember her saying, this is more work than you will ever do in your life. And she was right, but it's amazing work. And so that's basically it. My mom saw an ad in a local magazine for the store. She needed warmer clothes. And she likes to say um, she didn't want to buy the sweater because it was more than she usually spends on thrift store items. But I said, Mom, it's for the animals. <laughs> so she bought that yellow sweater, one of her favorite sweaters, 12 years later, 10 year, or 11 years later. And who knows? Like, again, I don't know. It was like the light bulb went off and all my passions and 
just came together. And mind you, my only retail experience before this had been as a cashier at Osco Drug when I was 16 years old. So so basically, you had to learn everything from the retail side to the to the building a nonprofit organization and running a store and and all of that. Yes, but <laughs> I will say, uh, I my degrees in college were business. Well, you had a good foundation. I had a good foundation from the corporate world and then also from uh, the degree. So I got my undergraduate was in business. And even though I really didn't like it all that much, I went back again and got it as an MBA. <laughs> so I had lots of academic business knowledge and then working in the corporate world as a, in the marketing and supply chain departments really helped. So there were a lot of things that I was able to put into play um, and that helped guide us. So I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was just completely starting, you know, with no foundation, but I didn't have any retail foundation or starting my own business or starting a nonprofit. So yeah, there was a lot of learning going on and we're learning and we know a lot more than we did 10 years ago. So Toby, were you working somewhere else? And is it both your full-time jobs now? Both of us, it's, this is our full-time job. This wasn't supposed to be. Uh, that trip, it was uh, right before I was starting graduate school. Uh, I was going to become a college professor. That was my, that was the route I was headed down. I was going to be a college professor. And uh, so she got this idea and it took a little while to make it come to fruition because Took about a year to write a business plan and find a location and figure out all the things we needed to, to do. Yeah. So and even that when we first when we first got the idea behind the store, you know, the business plan was talking about a small boutique, you know, that would have been nice for her, a couple volunteers, and lucky to run. You know, it would have been so I still was just gonna come in, you know, help out when I could. That was the idea behind it. You know, I could come in and volunteer a little bit here and there. And then with the space that we ended up getting, it's, it was it's massive. Twice as big. Yeah, it was twice. Well, actually, yeah. The retail space is twice as big as the spaces that we had been looking at to begin with. Uh, so it was a much bigger space that we ended up with. So it was a much bigger job than we were anticipating. And again, it was one of those things we didn't know what we didn't know. So we had no clue that you can't run a 5,000 square foot retail space with one person and a dog. How we started out, and I do not recommend that yeah. for anybody. So, lesson learned. Yeah, we actually still have the um, the little the little be back soon sign that had the little numbers for it was a clock, and she could put that so she would lock the doors at the front of the store and put that on the store if she had to go to the bathroom or if Lucky had to go to the bathroom. I mean, how do you run a retail store? Close it in the middle of the day. It's like old school. It was just hilarious. Um, but yeah, so that's. Yeah, I mean, we signed the lease in November and we had two months of free rent and then we had to get open. So we had to open and we weren't ready. We didn't have everything in place, but we just opened. Um, so how long has the store been open? About nine and a half years. And we have two stores now side by side as we ran out of space after about a year and a half. Yeah, we went from saying this place is so big, we're never going to fill it up to, OK, we need a bigger space. Because the the supporters that came out and started donating to us, it was amazing how much stuff and, we got right off the bat and how and, much people yeah. trusted us. And I always joke that Lucky kept us in business that first <laughs> year. So he was with us the first 11 months before his 16-year-old body gave out. Uh, so some of our customers still remember Lucky. They've been coming to us 
for a long time, and they still remember that spotted angel. Um, but he would sit at the window and with his nose kind of looking out, and people would stop by and, and say hi to Lucky. Whether or not they wanted to shop, they probably wanted to pet the dog, right? Yes. I mean, he was a beautiful <laughs> dog. I mean, yeah. His markings, he was tall. He, he just, he was a beautiful dog uh, with his, and uh, so they would come in and say, the, the store was kind of empty and there weren't a whole lot of people. So they tell their friends, come, come meet this dog, come, come shop and feel they, they felt sorry for us. I mean, really, that's what it was. Uh, and so that's how we grew a lot in the first, uh, first year was because of Lucky. And um, I'm so grateful that he was able to be a part of our vision and that people were able to meet him. Uh, early on. So yeah. and that he lives on in the logo. If you see the logo, it's the Dalmatian head logo that we have. And that's him. That was, you know, we had a, a graphic designer who put together a bunch of different faces and eyes and everything. And we got it to be as close to him as possible, even the number of spots on the nose, everything. So it's pretty cool. We had a few customers say that Lucky was the reason that they kept coming back. So you established this um, organization in this store. So what is the so talk about funds that you raise. Uh, how does it support animals? So talk a little bit about the store. So uh, we, we currently have two stores in Avondale Estates, Georgia, uh, about a half a mile from the Cab farmers, farmer's Market. For anybody who doesn't live near there, great day trip. Um, it's, it's filled with anything that you could find in your house. That's the easiest way I explain it to people. I say, if, if it's inside your house right now, we probably have it in the store, whether it's housewares for your kitchen, whether it's furniture for your living room. Clothing, um, jewelry, yeah. books, basically anything you'd find in your home closet or patio. Yeah. And when people want to donate to us, I tell them if it's inside your house, we'll take it with the exception of large appliances. We don't, everything else we part. take. Um, so, cause we even get in, you know, electric powered uh, utility tools, whether it's drills, saws, weed eaters, all of that kind of stuff. We get it all. And we have everything from brand new to antique, vintage, retro, kitschy, modern. We get, I have to tell you, the donations are just amazing. Designer brands, high-end brands, just everything. I would want to leave every day with like a carload of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and before pre-COVID, we took donations every day. Right now, we're, we've changed some of the processes. So we're taking donations on Saturdays only, but we still, in the amount of, we get donated every month, uh, every week. It's fascinating. And uh, we have the best supporters. That's all I can say. We really say. do. We really do. I mean, um, but yeah, so the store is what makes it different, I guess. We call it an upscale thrift store. So when you walk in, you don't necessarily know that it's a thrift store, that everything's been donated. It's bright. It's clean. It doesn't smell. It's organized. We have wooden hangers, murals around the, the store that promote animal rescue, that promote adoption, promote spay and neuter. Um, so we're trying not to be just a store where we want to be thought of more as like a community place where we can educate, where we can, we collect food for food, pet food pantry. So we do a lot of other things. So while we're a thrift store, we're really, I love all of that. It's so it's just a really fabulous place. And the windows, our boutique manager, Allie does an amazing. We actually have had people who, when they finally come in the store and I'll talk to them and they'll be, I, was, I was like, well, what made you stop? They said, well, I figured I'd finally give it a try. But every time I drove by, I just figured I couldn't afford what was in the store because the windows look so amazing. I didn't realize it was a thrift store. Like, yeah, it's, we call it upscale resale, but it's essentially a thrift store where we're, we're a, 
I cannot wait to check it out. And for any of our listeners that are in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area, I recommend that you do that as well. And it sounds like such an awesome like destination day for resale therapy. Yeah, with all the things going on in the world right now, resale therapy is a good thing to have. And it's because we have an amazing team. You know, we've talked about our supporters and and our customers and the donors and everything, but our team is what makes it happen. You know, it's it's all Tanya's vision that she created, but without our the team members, our employees, and our volunteers, none of it would happen. They do such an amazing job at keeping the store clean, um, talking and having great relationships. I mean, they build relationships with the with the customers who come in all the time. It's, and the donors. Yeah. And the donors, yeah. We have an absolutely amazing team. Yeah, this is our happy place. This is my favorite place to shop. We love you guys. And, you know, you're the first place I came after the quarantine. I mean, when we do these podcasts and articles and things like that, Toby and I always get our pictures on the in the article <laughs> or in the news, and we always seem to get all the credit, but we really couldn't do this without a team. Uh, our management team, our employees, our volunteers, they're all, part, they're the heart of the organization. And a lot of the things that we've implemented came as a suggestion or recommendation from one of our team members. And we thought, hey, let's try it. And it worked out great. So... So I love that you were highlighting your team because it is the team that makes the that makes the store and the experience and and what keeps the community continuing to come back again and again. It sounds like you have such a loyal following and you know you you had that up but I know it's a, a team effort to make sure that that's executed on every single day and so I love that you're highlighting your team. Yeah. And how cool is it that you get to go to work every day and to be around animal lovers all day, people you work with, people who shop, people who feel your passion. If somebody loses an animal, you know, we all grieve in the same, you know, we, we just understand what they're going through. Cause I still remember when I last, when I lost my first job out of my first dog out of college, I went to the athletic department and my boss was like, Oh, just, you can get another dog. Like they did, they didn't understand that you can't just replace another dog. And, and that mentality, like that really stuck with me for a long time. And I think that's part of the reason why I really wanted to do something to help animals because there's a lot of people who don't care about them, but there's a lot of people who do. And I wanted to be around those people. And so the re- the whole, the whole idea of rescue, I mean, so many people are so supportive of getting a dog, you know, through a rescue organization, helping homeless dogs, helping to, rehome animals if that is necessary. And, um, and so that is, that is so important. Do you, does your mission help support the education around that versus, uh, you know, buying from a breeder? Uh, yeah, we have, that's, that's one of the things, you know, when we talk about the organizations that we provide grants to, it's not just, you know, your typical shelter that you see. There's small rescue groups that get a part of it. There's um, educational programs. There's there's one group, um, but they go into schools and they teach kids the importance of of animal welfare and how how they can utilize careers in animal welfare that they hadn't thought about. Um, there's the organization Ahimsa House that works with uh, women who are or yeah, mostly women that are fleeing domestic violence because they won't leave because the shelters that they would go into don't take animals. 
So they'd have to leave the animals behind, which then the animal becomes the abused. So, you know, and Tanya mentioned it before with the pet food pantry that we, we get food and, you know, we provide grants to them as well. We foster um, cats. We aren't doing it right now, but pre-COVID, we were foster cats through Paws Atlanta in our stores, which we really miss. Yeah. Um, and we've had over 155 adoptions. Uh, That's a really great organization, Paws. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, like I said, we're trying, we want to be just a community resource as well. Um, rescue is, it's so big. It's so encompassing. There's so many people who give their heart and soul and time to rescue and they don't make, they have full-time jobs as well. And, but they just want to make a difference. And so we're trying to help those organizations and the amount of work that goes into rescuing one animal, finding it at the shelter, finding someone who can pick it up, finding someone to foster, you know, vet care, medical care, if there's any training needed, if there's any medical care needed. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming to think about everything that goes into rescuing one animal. And that's not cheap. Uh, it, it costs money to get all those, all the care that's needed and to give the animal the love and all that stuff. So, um, but at the same time, one of our biggest goals is, is to stop these animals from being born that are unwanted. Georgia is a, is a really tough state. We euthanize about 50,000 animals per year just in the state of Georgia. And these are healthy animals. The majority are, could be great pets, but as a society, we just haven't made it become a priority yeah Um, to to be able to and it breaks our hearts so yeah so the spay and neuter programs have become really one of our our main thrusts as you know the last few years we've started putting more emphasis on finding organizations that have those programs and putting more and giving them more resources to be able to they help families who can't afford to spay and neuter who have to choose between food or their pets you know they, they those families, which is great. Um, because it's so much easier if we were to take, you know, one animal and you pay for the spay and neuter rather than euthanizing all the puppies that come from that animal or all the kids. I just think we could, if we focused on the, the spay and neutering and making it easier for people to spay and neuter, we would save money because running a shelter and, and it costs money and then euthanizing animals it costs money. So, uh, and it's just heartbreaking too. I mean, there's just so many... Well, because a lot of people don't realize there's puppies and kittens Kittens. that are being euthanized because there's no space in shelters. They're being born in the shelters and euthanized days later or weeks later. Um, We try not to get into the negative. Like we really try and focus on the positives, but how do you, so how do you motivate someone to rescue or adopt? I think the majority of our customers do, but how do you reach the people who think, who have this idea that rescues are broken or there's something wrong with them when in reality, they've just been let down by we, the animals that are ending up in shelters, families are going through divorce or having a baby or moving or whatever reason, don't want to give it the time or don't have the time. So these are just animals that have been let down by humans. They would make amazing pets if someone just gave them the chance. So it would never cross my mind if my mind to research a breeder. There's no reason to buy from a breeder. There's no reason because there are so many dogs and cats that need homes are absolutely phenomenal animals. They just need a little bit of love, attention, and investment. And care. And they know they've been rescued. They know they've been saved. You can just feel that they're grateful. And um, when I look at the before pictures and the after pictures of our dogs and other and other animals that we've helped, through, you know, we get happy tales from the rescue. I mean, it's just... 
it's it's the transformation is amazing. Can people bring their dogs into your store? That's almost a requirement. If people have dogs. If your dog I always joke, friendly, like, we prefer dogs. the dogs than the people most of the time for me. But, you know. <laughs> and Andy absolutely wants to come shopping at Second Life. And so. If your dog is friendly, we're, we're dog friendly. We'll, so. we'll give a shout out to one of our favorites. You know, um, we have a, there's a dog that comes in, Ladybug, who she is just the, the friendliest dog, has never met a person she didn't like. And. Everybody in the store, when all of a sudden it'll trickle out. If you know, we were doing donations on Saturday and I heard somebody just say the word ladybug, and I was putting, I was stacking stuff. I stopped stacking and went outside because I knew she was there and I had to say, so yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. We have a lot of regulars that <laughs> dog regulars that come definitely brighten our day. And it's so funny, like when people are talking about walking, walking in the neighborhood and they always are like, oh, you're Andy's mom or you're, you know, whatever. Like, you, all, you know, the, you know, the people by the dog, not, not the not the people. Oh, you're Ladybug's mom. <laughs> we rarely know the people's names, but we know the dogs. Yeah, names. we definitely know the dog's names. And the people who have, they, they get it. <laughs> so you were talking about your team and how important they are, but I, I read about you having a chief smile officer. Every company should have a chief smile officer. Yeah. <laughs> One level above the CEO. I agree with that. So talk about your chief smile officer. So our first CSO, as we call him, was Lucky. So Lucky's job in the beginning was to bring people into the store and make them smile. I mean, the name is, the job description is right there in the title, right? Chief smile officer. So that their job is... She, we're talking about our dogs. Our current CSO is Riley. He's a German short-haired pointer or pointer Doberman mix that came back from a shelter in Cairo, Egypt, uh, eight and a half years ago. And his job is to walk around and make people go, oh, he's so cute and make them smile. <laughs> and he's got these big brown puppy dog eyes and um, you pretty much feel sorry for him. But Tanya likes to dress yes. him up and outfits if if a hat He's comes in a or officer. a wig comes in or a, some type of costume comes in he ends up with it on and then his picture gets plastered on social media he pretty much hates halloween <laughs> yeah he's he's, <laughs> he's dreading he's the, dreading <laughs> the whole month of halloween he's something different every day <laughs> and he's a rescue dog so he's there to show people that you can find amazing dogs and they all say oh he's so calm he's so mellow i'm like there's great dogs and shelters and rescues. Um, so his his job, so he's got another job. He's also the chief furniture tester as well. So when we, we, we get sofas and chairs and he has to test them out. That's a very important job for an animal is to test out the furniture. But yeah, but CSO, yes. it's, I mean, having dogs in the store is just one of the best parts. We've had a few cats too. Maybe rabbit. So you fight for animals that can't fight for themselves. And so it's such an important part of what you do in your mission. Um, if you were speaking on behalf of the dogs or the animals, I should say, what do you think they would share? I think yeah. they would say thank you yeah. for helping. And I, I think they would say, you know, we need you. We. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the, it's the, I think they, they'd be saying a couple of things. You know, it's like, I know Riley and Gordy would be telling us just have fun with life. Make sure that you're having fun. Make sure you're enjoying your life. Um, making sure to say spend as much time with us as possible, <laughs> but also to help those to help their 
brothers and sisters that are out there that don't have as fortunate of life as they have right now. Cause Riley and Gordy have a really good life compared to where we found them. So yeah, it's not always a nice ending for every rescue dog. So, cause some don't get rescued. And I think that that would be the biggest thing that I think they would be saying to us is just continue to help. How you want us to behave. I think there's, there's too many that are given up on too soon. Um, they're, they would say we are family. We want to be with you. We want to do, we want to be good, but you have to teach us what that means. I think Lucky is a prime example of yeah. that. You know, Lucky was given up on so many times because people didn't know how to teach him to be a good dog. We have no idea what they're talking about because when we went to go pick him up, we were just going to be fosters. We opened up the car. He jumped in, sat down like he was a person in the back seat of the car, and that was his spot forever. He was on the passenger side in the back seat, and he just sat he up knew that like he was a he jumped person. In the car. Yeah. And he was like that. We'd take trips across the country, and he just sat in the back seat like that. He was an amazing dog, but I think it just took, yeah, just being able to understand them and give them the chance to learn from you. Don't just give up. Please be our voice. Like we need new laws. We need society to be better. So there's all these organizations that you support. And so what does that look like? So you all have, you raise money through the, the store and probably other, you know, fundraising efforts, I guess, or donations that you get. And then these organizations are they just on your list where you contribute to them or they apply for a grant to be supported by you? So, so how does that work? So when we first started, you know, we had no idea how much we were going to bring in. We had no idea what was going on. We found four organizations that we had volunteered with personally in the past. So we trusted those organizations. So we could actually tell people we trust who we're giving the money to because we've been working with them. Um, and so we started out with just four groups. They were, you know, we figured we're just going to give money to them. Uh, after the first year, we gave like, I think we had $13,000 in grants that entire first year. We're like, oh, that was really great. We were so excited. We gave $13,000. The first quarter of the second year, I think we had $13,000 to give in the first quarter. We said, oh, we need to find more groups because one of the groups that we were giving actually a couple of the groups were really small volunteer only led groups. And while yes, giving them funding is great. There is such thing as too much funding if they don't have the resources to use that funding responsibly. So we started looking at other ways. So right now there's form on our so grant application that they have to fill out. Yeah. And right now we're not taking new applications to speak form asks a whole bunch of questions, make sure that their mission aligns with ours, that they spay and neuter, that they're a legitimate organization. Um, and that way we can do some vetting and make sure that the funds that we're giving are going to where they need to be going. So um, so we've donated over $1.6 million since we've opened to more than 70, di- 70 different groups. That is so incredible. Amazing. <laughs> $1.6 Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so he talks about the first year we donated 13,000, uh, last year we donated 300. And that's after paying all the bills and. Well, I read that you brought some animals from Egypt. Is that accurate? Riley, our chief smiler. Yeah. So actually that's both of our personal dogs who are, they're both from Egypt. Toby's actually the only one in the household, not born in Egypt. So. Yeah. I'm the only one in the household. Yeah. <laughs> We're yes. all Americans, but he wasn't born. <laughs> It was years ago, Tanya had, or when we were visiting Egypt, 
she was doing some freelance writing at the time. And so somebody asked her if she could go to a rescue group and check them out and do a story on them. And she, she went and checked it out and came back and she had told me, wow, this place is, you've got, we, we've got to go and help them. They just need help. And so the next year when we went back to Egypt, because we were there visiting her family that lives over there. And so when we went back, I went with her and, you know, shelters here, rescues here have it hard. Rescues over there have it way harder because not only are they fighting the regular stuff that you have to deal with, with rescuing an animal, they're also fighting against a cultural Aversion. <laughs> Aversion to animals. It's not, you know, it's or it's to, one of the things. Or to mixed breeds, especially. Yeah. The street animals are considered dirty. Um, you know, well, I mean, it's 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 similar to the way, I mean, the U.S., we haven't always been this rescue focused. You know, when we were, you know, you go back a few decades and you're going to be looking at people who are like, oh, it's all about the purebreds. It's all about this. If it's a, yeah, if it's a mud, it's bad. And so that's the idea over there as well. But what I've learned is the mutts that are in Egypt brilliant and amazing animals because they've been mutts for thousands of years developing into these amazingly smart, intelligent, beautiful animals. Um, so I absolutely love the street dogs in Egypt. They're absolutely great. Um, but we went to the shelter and, you know, it's not like shelters you have here where there's kennels that they're in. You know, I remember we walked into the first little area and there was 30 dogs running around in this one little tiny area. And then when they took us on a tour, we went to another area that had a couple hundred dogs just running around free range. And we actually had one of our volunteers was, was with us and she saw this dog that was living, he was just sleeping on, it was basically a metal bed frame that had the metal slats and springs, you know, so it was kind of one of those where you didn't use a box spring, you would just have, and they just had blankets on it. And she was just looking at this dog. He was this chocolate dog that looked sad, had crust in his eyes and She's cleaning the crusties out of his eyes. And she's like, oh, my God, we've got to save this dog, Toby. We've got to save this dog. I'm thinking, yeah, right. How are we going to get a dog back? It's just not going to work. That was Riley. That was our CSO. <laughs> so, yeah, he so he came back with us along with a couple other dogs. And the whole intent was to get him adopted. This was March and it was the March following Lucky's passing in December. So we were not ready for another dog. There was no way our hearts were still, still hurting, still broken. Um, But Riley came in the house and said, I'm home. And it took us a while to realize that two months again, but everybody else was like, no, no, they all knew right away that he was home. It was just longer for us to realize. It felt like lucky had sent him to us because he was a shy version. Um, (laughs) You know, we go to Egypt frequently. So I have very big extended family there. So we go there often and, Egypt's like our second home, but, and it's got a piece of our heart, but the, the animal, like being an animal lover and going to Egypt is very hard because there are a lot of stray animals on the streets. The majority of the people are afraid of them. They, some abuse, some just ignore, but if we can change the heart and mind of one person, that's, that's great. Um, but there's this group of just animal loving people in Egypt that are doing so much work and don't care what the dog's breed is and understand that are worthy of saving. So we try and do what we can when we're there. Um, we brought back several dogs in our hearts. We believe rescue knows no borders, rescue knows, knows no boundaries. If we can help an animal in need, I don't care where it was born. Um, they're all deserving of love and they didn't choose to be born in a country that doesn't value them. So 
this will be different that the younger generation will learn. But that's that's how we got started bringing animals back from Egypt was. And it's just it's basically a sanctuary because they they adopt out very few locally. And what they do adopt, they send abroad. You know, they have this one group, ESMA, they have over 1,400 dogs and cats. 1,400. And there's other rescues that have almost that many or have hundreds and hundreds and nobody's adopting locally. So for a lot of them, they just turn into sanctuaries and they're much luckier than the street dogs. They're fed, they're safe, but, but they still deserve homes. And when you go there and every dog just wants attention and it's just. It makes you want to bring them all back. Well, that's a beautiful story. Well, what's it like the two of you working together? Yeah, it's well, it was my crazy idea why we're Yeah, it was her crazy idea, so she's the So boss. I'm I'm the president co-founder. Toby's the director of operations. So we've got it split out where I basically do the behind the scenes, the financial, marketing, legal, anything that doesn't necessarily isn't at the store or in store operations. And Toby does most everything that's related. So I'm the operation stuff. So human resources, customer service, you know, the actual day-to-day operations of managing and running the store um, falls on my shoulders. Yeah. I mean, people ask us that all the time. They're like, I don't know if I could do that. I just, especially nowadays with everybody with all the quarantining and everything, everyone's like, how did you guys do that? Because I can't, I've just, just these two months, I just want to, you know, I just can't spend all that time together. You guys are together all the time. I'm like, that's why quarantining didn't impact us at all. Our life was no different. It was like we we work. So it's like the same. You know, her, you know, we have two home offices. Hers is upstairs. Mine's in the basement. Um, again, because she's the boss. So she's on the upper levels. I'm in lower levels. You got the penthouse, Tanya. Yes. <laughs> she has so the, our, well, the so nice window. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those it things. It just where works. It works together. Yeah, we're yeah. Well, y'all seem awesome together. Just <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been together twenty five years, but it just works. It's not always easy. There, are, you know, like with any couple and with any business partners, you're going to have arguments, but it just works. And a lot of times, if we're both at the store, we don't even see each other except when we arrive and leave. And then because the roles are pretty well uh, broken out. It's easy to say, hey, this is something you need to handle. This is something I handle. And so it just, I don't know. It just I works. think one of the toughest things. We like things, each other. That helps. Yeah, well, yeah, that's definitely helpful. Um, one of the toughest things, though, is actually somebody will tell me something at the store or somebody will tell Tanya something at the store, and they automatically think that we're going to tell each other. But if I'm at the store and she's here, by the time I get home, I've done a hundred other things, and I've forgotten to tell her whatever it was that we had discussed with somebody else. And they'll start talking to her about it. And like, well, didn't Toby tell you? Don't you guys talk when you get home? It's like, it's just something that, you know, it's that's, I think, one of the hardest things is they think if they tell one of us that both of us automatically know, because we do seem like we're pretty much in sync with everything. But Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to highlight about you or your organization or your team or Second Life for our listeners? You know, when we started this journey, it was come from a family where you kind of went to college, got a job, you know, my brothers are doctors, my dad has a PhD. So it was very like focused and you just, and, and that was great, but I never I felt like I fit in that, in that realm. So I would encourage people to follow your dreams and take chances whenever you have the opportunity, if it makes sense, because life is really short. And if you have a passion being able to go to work every day and do something that you are passionate about and that makes your heart complete 
And I know it's tough um, sometimes to take that leap, but if, if you have an idea and you think there's an opportunity, start small and just follow your dreams. Uh, because if you fail, you fail, but at least you know you've tried and you won't be 80 years old thinking, God, I, I really enjoyed sitting at that cubicle every day. That's kind of how we, I approached this. had no idea if it would, if it would take off. It has. It's been amazing. Um, and my just, thing is, don't let don't let other people discourage you. Don't let the the people who are saying, "Oh, you can't do something," discourage you. Let you know, take the chance anyway. Because we had a lot of people early on saying, "How are you going to make any money? Are you going to be able to pay all your expenses? And how are you going to how are you going to make this work?" And you know, I had a good business plan. We had things figured out, but we didn't know. You know, there's so many variables, and I, I just wanted to be that person that took a chance and tried to make a difference. And there's a lot we did wrong early on. Uh, there's a lot we did right early on. And um, each year we're learning more and more. Our goal eventually is to have multiple locations across the Southeast, the US. Uh, we had actually started talking about expanding before COVID hit. So, um, you know, our dreams are just getting bigger. Like our biggest goal is, is to help more and more animals, help more and more people. Because in reality, animals are helping people. They change lives. They give people confidence. They give them what they need to keep going. But really, my ultimate goal is for a store like Second Life to not be needed because yeah. people are rescuing, they're spaying and neutering. We don't have this issue of three to four million dogs and cats being euthanized in the U.S. We've gotten to a point where animals are valued and there's a priority on them. So my goal is that we wouldn't even need a store like this. And instead, we could have our funding go towards helping people who have emergency medical care, heartworm treatment, um, taking care of their pets, things like that. Like that's my ultimate goal is a store like ours wouldn't be needed. I don't know that'll happen in our lifetime, but we can keep trying to work towards that goal and help the groups that are doing the amazing work right now. And that's one of the reasons why we didn't want to start a rescue. Well, that's an incredible vision that you that you are not needed eventually. And, and that... I mean, that, uh, that sounds yeah. crazy, right? Like why you would. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound crazy. It it sounds like, you know, that you have the hugest heart for animals and you are doing such amazing work for, for the community and for the animals. And, and they do give us back so much. And we talked about, you know, we might rescue them, but really they are rescuing us as well and adding so much love and depth to our lives. And so the work that you're doing is really incredible. Well, you touched on um, a few of these things as we talked, but as we wrap up, can you share if our listeners want to learn more about um, the organi- your organization, Second Life, if they want to um, visit your store, if they want to connect with you or follow you on social media, and talk about, you know, if there are any key things that you need uh, from supporters. If so, what is that? And uh, so, so that we can make the information available to them. Yeah, one of our favorite sayings is, you know, donate, shop, volunteer. Those are our core things that we need from people. You know, people to donate the stuff because if we don't have stuff to sell, we don't have a store. You know, we need people to buy the stuff because <laughs> we need the money. And then volunteers because, you know, they're, our team is made up probably 50-50 volunteers and paid team members right now. Um, And the more volunteers we have, 
the fewer paid team members we need to be able to do things. So the more money that we could then generate for groups. So, I mean, those are the things that we really need. But that's really what keeps us going. Um, right now we have an online store that we can shop at as well. So if there's folks who aren't comfortable leaving their house, they can support us from afar. Just promoting us is a huge thing. Uh, promoting us to your friends and family. Wherever they live, we've had people when we travel say, I have a friend who lives in Atlanta and she's told me about your store and where you will be in a completely different state and, or com- really they can donate money. That would always, that always helps. Um, they can, s- people didn't real, don't, may not realize you can shop on Amazon Smile or Kroger. And if, as long as you register us as a charity, every time you shop at those places, we get a small percentage and it adds up. We just we just got a check from each of those organizations this the, this week, and it was about one hundred and seventy five dollars total. So if it helps. Amazon or regular Amazon, the prices are exactly the same. We have such an amazing core of loyal supporters. Our goal is to grow that. Tell your friends, tell your family, come check us out, give us a chance. Um, we've got all our information on our website, which is secondlifeatlanta.org. It's a great way to make a difference. Especially right now, we're really pushing shop small, shop local. Tanya and Toby, your story is beautiful. And I know exactly why Ivy was so excited for me to meet you all. We miss her. Yeah, we do miss her. (laughs) What do you think? Second Life Sydney. How does that (laughs) go? Shout out to Ivy. (laughs) Come on, Ivy. Second Life Sydney. So I, I know exactly why Ivy wanted me to connect with you all to hear your story and how you are changing um, families' lives because, you know, the, the dog is part of, of the family and it, um, your, your uh, love for animals just is at the fabric of your being. And it absolutely shows through the love, the passion, the kindness, just everything that you do to help them and help us the community through your support and so I want to see you all just be crazy successful because of that and uh, you're doing really great things and Stories Connect People podcast is all about people that are interesting, inspiring, and uplifting and you are all of those things. So Tanya and Toby, thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Um, can't wait to keep making a difference for all the animals. So yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.